Enterprise Digital Podcast with Ian Aitchison and Barclay Ray, navigating the ever-expanding service management maze. Well, hello. Once again, we are back. It's the podcast for digital enterprises or the Digital Enterprise Podcast or the Enterprise Digital Podcast. One of these, it, it's the same thing, basically. We go around in circles. We're talking about enterprise and digital and all things that fall in within that for a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm Barclay Ray and I'm joined by Ian Aitchison. Uh, Ian, how's how are things with you? Outstanding. Thank you very much, Barclay. Yes, yes, all is good. Absolutely. Outstanding. That's good to hear. What's also good to hear normally at this point is some trivia, some effluva, some earwax of of interest. <laughs> what light fluff do I have for us to? Ali, uh, and do you have that kind of fluff with you today? I do. I do have a little bit of light fluff indeed, effluvia. Um, it's only it's only a small one. This won't take very long. But I was reading something interesting this week relating to mim- mimetic thinking. Are you familiar with mimetic thinking? I should be, but I, I, to be very honest, I'm just googling it as as we as we speak. So, yeah, I, I, and there's a whole world of study into thought and human behaviour, and it's about the way that humans will think something is fantastic when they see other humans doing it, but if they don't see anybody doing something, they don't think of it. And I'll give you why that's relevant because what connects to that. I love this little phrase. Did you know that um, humans put a man on the moon? Well, you know that before they put wheels on luggage. Neil Armstrong carried his luggage. Do you remember in the old days, and you're old enough to remember this, Barclay, I'm clearly too young to remember, but you're old enough. You'd remember back in the 70s, people at airports would be carrying luggage. Remember that? Boxes with handles on top. Nobody wheeled their luggage anywhere. And, uh, you know, we had all the geniuses of a generation, Einstein, Edison, Tesla, all of these geniuses going back all the years nobody actually invented putting wheels on suitcases except they did it was registered in 1970 as a patent but it didn't even take off until 1989 when finally they pivoted the shape of the suitcase and put a handle in a different position and it was picked up by some air crew and everybody saw it in the airport and said well why haven't we done that before it's so obvious mimetic thinking and suddenly None of us carry our luggage anymore. But the thing is that there used to be lots of people who worked at stations and airports called porters. Mm, yeah. Things with wheels on them that they would carry. You know, how how vulgar to carry your own luggage or to wheel it around. You get somebody to do it for you and then some bright spark invents wheels. What a great example that is of technology. In a simple form, but technology making people's lives better and changing people's jobs. So all of those porters found they no longer had jobs as porters because they didn't need to carry all that luggage because everyone was wheeling them along. And this is the natural thing we see over and over again. And we talk about this a lot in in this podcast about change and about technology coming in and enhancing the way people work and whether it has impact on their their future uh, their future jobs and so on. And there's a great example. Well, that's that's an interesting one. I I can also confirm that I watched the moon land moon landing. I was I was alive when that happened, and remember it with some affection. Um. Anyway, let's uh. This week it's just you and I catching up on a few things. So um, 
we'll take a quick pause and then come back and do that very thing. Absolutely. Right, we are we are Johnny No Mates. Johnny's No Mates this week. We don't have a guest, but that every so often, as you know, we we do that. We we sit down and just chew the fat ourselves on what's happening in the industry, what we've been seeing, what we've been doing. Ian, from your perspective, have you picked up any recent nuggets of of information and knowledge or awareness about what's happening in in the world? Yeah, I've had some fascinating conversations with some organizations, some IT leaders. I had one this week, and obviously I can't name the, the company or anything, but we're having a, a long conversation about the old model of uh, replacing compute devices. I, I hesitate as I laptops and desktops on a on a time cycle. It's three years old. I need a new one. And we have, we're having great conversations about the reliability now of technology. Quite often things that are three years old just need to be washed down a bit, scrubbed out, cleaned up, reinstalled and they've got another good year of life two years of life even three years of life sometimes depending on the role and the purpose so there's an interesting talk about the way technology is becoming i guess more reliable and there's no longer a need to work that old model so much repurposed i think is the is one of the the... repurposed or just yeah yeah not not immediately or do we have fast fashion you know and it uh, is moving away from fast fast it to sustainable sustainable is very relevant it certainly is and that's a very nice link to uh some of the stuff that i've been looking at of late you may you may remember we had simon wardley on our podcast probably about a year ago actually and we we looked at some some mapping and i recently participated in a program of of uh, i suppose research stroke development stroke interest um with about 60 70 other well most of them were bright minds compared to mine but um it, it was it was looking at sustainability um, and was it was it learning about mapping because i still think his mapping model's fascinating although it makes my head spin was it teaching you about mapping or was it just you're done with no you know it now you're using it for a purpose well i suppose that's one thing about it that that um i maybe struggled a little bit with because in the communication it said you can join this if you don't if you haven't got experience or knowledge and and i did join it i did participate it i did sometimes struggle a little bit with the the landscape of the mapping and the tool and so on whereas a lot of people on there were very very familiar with it and were using it and and they were able to sort of facilitate the the various sessions but uh, it was fascinating because we, we talked about sustainability and we tried to come up with relevant maps in terms of you know what what are the main areas what are the main concepts what are the main ideas that need to be dealt with and then you break them down in individually and each one of them what are their constituent parts and what are the relationships between entities i mean i think that's that's the thing i got from when we spoke to him and also as part of this is that actually we very often present information in a way that doesn't actually reflect the relationships between things we might have he calls them graphs which are which tend to be representations of data Mm. or you know and to some extent workflows or or time-based um representations 
but the, the true maps are the relationships between things, some things that are close and some things that are near. So you look at a map of the UK and, you know, London is pretty close to Reading and 400 miles from Glasgow. And that, you know, that whatever else you're going to do, that the, the, there's, there's some meaning in that. And actually you then represent other places in, in relation to that. So when we were talking about things like, we were talking about leadership, talking about governance, and, you know, we start off, off with ownership and, and accountability and trust and you get down to people and then you get down to communications and media and what kind of models and of responsibility and money, you know. So it was absolutely fascinating. I, I, I wanted to do it because I have been doing a few things on sustainability in relation to service management. I did a webinar and stuff. And the thing that really has struck me of late is that service management really is about sustainability or or vice versa. You know, sustainability is about doing things that are repeatable, that are effective and consistent, but also flexible enough that you don't have to throw them away every three or four years. They they evolve. They they are continually adapting, changing to the environment that they're in. And that's what makes them long-term sustainable. It's it's not the fact that they, you know, and if you think about how we've looked at a lot a lot of the models and frameworks over the years and the way that many companies have implemented ITIL and other things, they've said, right, well, this is the way it is and we set it up and that's it. Whereas actually the value and the real service management intelligence is, yes, that we set it up but we need to make sure that we've got things built in so that we can constantly change it. You know, as soon as you can build a configuration management system, it's out of date. So you, you, part of the build has got to be how you maintain it and keep it going. Mm, a recognition that it's always changing. By the way, there's a connection to relationships, of course, because as you get into configuration management and the concept of relationships between services and configuration items and all these these pieces, um, relationships become become very relevant. At that point of you build something and it should change over time, and that's good, is de- I think is definitely the case. We see that in lots of different places. I'm now thinking of a particular case where in, in my working context, we designed a particular type of leadership meeting that was taking place regularly. And it was very effective for a period of time and then you, you realize that it needs to change and be adjusted. And there's two mindsets. One is, well, we've built this way of working. And if people can't do it properly, then it must be the fault of the people. We have to enforce the way of working. Or well, the other approach is, you know, you've got to listen to the feedback and keep adjusting the thing you have made. It's never finished. And you adjust and you adjust. And it's very natural for uh, models, ways of working, practices, however you approach it. So quite rightly, always be listening and always be adjusting because that's how they should be. And that gives them a future as well, right? It absolutely does. And it does also come back to what you said about relationships. I mean, fundamentally, if, you, if you're if you building a, a, you know, a service or a working relationship where something's being delivered and, and it's kind of long-term, then you've got to have a good relationship around that so that it can flex, you know, that, that that there are changes and people will, if you've got trust, for example, if you've got good level of shared understanding of common goals, then the way it works matters less. You know, if, if the way it works is the only thing, if it's based around 
let's use the term, an SLA that is fixed, then mm. that's pretty soon going to go out of date and, and out of relevance and everybody forgets it or d doesn't believe in it. But the organization or both organizations are sticking to it going, well, this is what we agreed, so we have to keep on going. So the, the whole kind of flexibility and the way that we're moving with different flavors of experience management, I think, you know, is, is very positive from that point of view because it's it's looking all the time at what's happening and it's making yeah. changes and, and tweaks as we go in such a way that, that that should contribute to the longer term viability of of that service and that product. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, the natural evolution of, of all things um, not written in stone. Yeah, sustainability. Very good. What else have you been up to, Barclay? What, what else is your... Your week last week or two brought to you. Being involved, I'm I'm still part of the uh, ITIL Architect Vision team, and we've been doing some work on that. Talking uh, of things written in stone, how's that going? Is there anything you can talk about around that? No, I mean it's interesting. I mean, in the last year, obviously, there's been quite a lot going on in the background, uh, and a number of you know these one day um, practice courses that have come out that they've been fairly. You know, filling a gap, I think, but the longer term has got to be considered. And in that time, uh, people start bought the uh, DevOps Institute, and that's, you know, that's got to be a. However, that pans out in terms of convergence or or dual running or whatever it is, it's got to be a good message on both sides that these things need to to work together. It's still early days around that, and and lots of good discussions as usual i come out of these things with a brain like a like a peanut because it's just been fried to bits but um all good stuff all positive there's as you know and 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 we're working on things like research um so that that's that should be out relatively soon I, certainly within the the fall or the or autumn as we prefer to call it we should have a first tranche of something coming out that will be of interest. One thing I was just going to say there when we were talking about um, the experience side and the sustainability side, and we, we always seem to end up, I find that a lot of conversations these days, whatever you, wherever you start talking about one topic, we end up coming back round to people and trust and management and people and you know, there, there does seem to be such a convergence of whether it's deliberate or just accidental thinking where the joined upness, the relationship between things, I think, is becoming more evident. Whether whether people are looking for it or whether they end up just turning around the corner and going, oh, actually, yes, that is that does require this this to happen. And that does depend on our strategy, our vision, our blah, 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 all these kind of things that we keep banging on about that we need to do. But I would like to think that more organizations are actually getting into the fact that doing stuff well that needs needs planning and thought, you know. I've got a great example to refer to there, which is uh, that good old topic of OKRs. You remember that? We've talked about OKRs a few times. Um, a great model in principle um, something that works extremely well, I would say, maybe for the smaller organization where it's possible to see the relationship from the CEO all the way down to every employee and every department in the organization. And you can align everybody with a relationship to their 
their key results that support their objectives for a period of time, which support the objectives of their their management layer, which supports the objectives of the executive team, who support the objectives of the board or whatever that may be, you know, in 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 that context. And one of the problems with OKRs is always, you know, they, they work great in principle. They're really hard to implement, particularly in a mid to large size organization, because it's a cultural shift and everybody needs to be educated and you can end up with conflict between different branches of the upside down tree. But we've also been having some very interesting conversations recently relating to OKRs about, you know, you don't have to implement something in its entirety in its absoluteness. Sometimes you can take the best parts and you'd appreciate this from the, the ITIL, the old, what was the old ITIL phrase, adopt and adapt. Um, that always used to be the case. Uh, and uh, I've been seeing some success recently with taking particular pieces of the OKR model and applying them just in a particular way at a particular scale and saying to people, you know what, don't worry about those bits. Don't worry about whether you can knock on the CEO's door and make a connection between your spreadsheet and his goal for the business by the end of the quarter. Don't worry about that. Let's just use the bits that work for us to target what we're going to measure as good outcomes for us by the end of this period of time and how we're going to do it. And it's been very successful so far. It's worked very well. And I think it's a case of where, where am I, what's the connection I'm making there? Relationships can make things harder, but also you can look at potentially difficult challenges and break them down and just adopt and adapt <laughs> the bits that work well and be successful. It sounds like you're reading that from one of the idle books. Um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I do think that there is, and it does depend, I think, on sector. I mean, I think sometimes, particularly in the public sector, that it could be quite challenging to do to do that. But that's what people end up doing. And then you end up with a huge profusion of, you know, you look at the health service or whatever, and it's just like a thousand different yeah. moving parts that maybe don't need to be there. But I think that, you know, that, that whole I think in IT, we have this mindset. I don't know whether it's because that's driven through the, the technical profile of we must do things perfectly. We need to do things, you know, as they are defined, that you have a perfect system. Yeah. Um, and when we come to the organizational and people side of that, we we assume that it will be the same. And that's just not the case. That, And that's where we, we have struggled for many years with, many of our different frameworks. And the number of times people come up to me and says, is it right that, that I do it this way? And I'm like, well, I can give you an opinion, but there's no right or wrong in how you do this. Um, it's got to be right for your organization. It's going to be right for your current context. There may be some good guidance out there that says, you know, nine times out of 10, do it this way, but there may be a situation where you can't. And that whole concept of that kind of business entrepreneurial sense of good enough, you know, just, just, get started you don't have to do everything perfect you have to get things take risks make some compromises you know all those kind of things of yeah. course that's not that is not a long-term sustainable way of working um to get that word back in but it is necessary at, at different times and, and i think we, we we've created a bit of a you know what's the word glass glass wall or maybe not glass ceiling but that, that where people are held back by the fact that they think well, best practice says i shouldn't do this or this particular mm -hmm. framework says i should or or should i do it this way do i even asking the question i think sometimes is 
why are you asking me that? Because, you know, it, it, it should be obvious that, that you do it in the best way for your organization. Is the best practice police going to come around and, you know, hit you over the head or, or take you away? Or, you know, there's a fear of... There's a fear of doing things wrong, I think, and both from a, if you like, from a framework mindset, but also just in terms of taking risks and doing something, getting something done. It's funny, while you were talking, I wrote down, even before you said it, but I wrote down, perfection is the enemy of execution, which is a phrase I've used about three times in the last week. And it's just my little reminder that oftentimes what matters is just making progress and we can make it better afterwards. And yeah, okay, nobody wants to make a mistake, but it's better that you have a go at something and make a mistake and we move forward than be paralyzed. Yes. Paralyzed by, well, it's not the right way. We can't do it that way or it might not work. I, I don't want to take that risk. Yeah. The other one is proportionality. Um, you know, in, in terms of when you are making a decision, you know, what, what you base that on and, and you've kind of highlighted it there in the sense that, you might have a lot of things in place ready to go. This is our kind of perfection mm. mindset again. And there's some small detail that maybe it might not be on the critical path. It might not be necessary, but people want it to be perfect or they want it to be presented. And, certain, and actually they don't progress as they might need to or as their business um, stakeholders might need to because of that. Not be, you know, whereas actually, from the end user's point of view, they might go, "Well, we need this now." So we, and I don't care about that little bit. The challenge is obviously telling the difference between something that is on the critical path and, and not. But... And that's the thing, right? because this other conversation I had introduced that old phrase was it Facebook? I think Meta now that we used to talk about um, move fast and break things as a as a philosophy, which actually is a terrible <laughs> approach in many ways. And if you look in many industries the absolutely last thing you want to do is is break things terrible terrible thing to do whether it's airlines or trains or um i just, you know, I just lose count of the number of things where you do not want to break things but innovation comes by having a safe space for people to be able to move forward and execute and get things wrong without impacting the things that must not break so you've got to kind of almost have that separation of the the protected area, which we will never break because that's so important. And then everybody else is working out new ways of working and taking small risks and getting one out of three things wrong, but at least they tried three things and all these sorts of approaches. If you can separate them out, it's fine. But move fast and break things is a very dangerous philosophy in my mind. It is. And it takes me back to my first job in IT where I was sat down the first morning and told that if I did something that you know, effect, it was in a, a, a manufacturing environment, car manufacturing, and I was told that if, you know, there were certain things I might do or be able to do that didn't just bring systems down, but would maybe stop the production line. And that's pretty much tantamount to you killing. That at risk, yeah. If, if I did that, I would probably going to get sacked or, or whatever. Whereas nowadays we tell people, no, you know, the and and cord stuff and all that is like actually you should stop the production line because it gives us a chance to fix it there and then. Um, yeah, we're going to cause some problems. Yes, yes, it will give us it will slow down the deliveries for today or, or whatever, but it means that we don't build more technical debt. We don't build more defective cars or defective software. It's a complete flip, though, isn't it? I mean, it's it's just 
do that and you'll get sacked. Don't just do everything to protect the production environment, but you know, the production line. And now it's like, no, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> we we live in strange times. Stopping things, by the way, and um just bringing this in from left field. I don't know if you saw the news over the last week about the terrible uh I'll call it hacking going on in Vegas. The MGM organization, which includes the Grand and the Venetian, which I know you know well, Barkley. Uh, not the Venetian, sorry, Bellagio. The Bellagio, which you know very well, particularly the piano bar. Did you know they were um, attacked uh, by a group over the last week? Did you hear this story? I did. I saw something about it. I don't know in detail, but what's your angle on that then? Well, I'm not sure there is an angle. I just think it's a fascinating story that the it's a massive organisation effectively held to ransom that all of their payout systems were locked out. And there's photos of all of the the big casino floors with all of the machines and the machines all off or they're only paying out manually and you have to go somewhere and someone will give you some dollar bills and uh, the room cards weren't working and people couldn't check in and credit cards couldn't be processed and it massively impactful and costing presumably millions of dollars a minute because it's such a huge money machine that was brought totally to its knees. So it should have been quite quiet in the news. It's not been as, as big as I thought it would be probably because there are so many other awful things going on around the world. The, the other one, I suppose, is, is the Birmingham City Council, you know, going, applying for whatever it is, the, the, the status of bankruptcy. Except, but a lot of it attributed to a bad I, IT procurement. Yes. Yes, indeed. Very expensive projects involving lots of people in positions where they're potentially making lots of money and the project itself may not come to fruition. And we can all think of examples of that, I'm sure. Well, stuff that really should maybe have cost 10, 15 million, it's already up at 115 or something. I mean, I'd like to round that back to, you know, this idea of sustainability that, you know, you build something, you're trying to, you're not just chucking it in, you're not just doing it because you've got a deadline. You want to build things properly and make, and think about the long-term viability of them. And, you know, that goes for, procurement it goes for you know what's this going to look like in a couple of years time in five years and ten years when i'm going to get my money back how how can i recognize that thinking ahead i mean i suppose that's sustainability isn't it thinking ahead and building quality into it build quality into it but then connect to you know don't be paralyzed by perfection and recognize that quality continues to come over time as you adjust and uh, alter to the circumstances and listen to feedback and continually improve. That's the nature of all of these things. They're continually, they're never done. They should, you should never think of them as being done. They're never done. And the flexibility is needed because we will make mistakes. We will make some bad decisions. Things will fa- fail. So the success is how resilient we can build our products so that they can cope with that effectively. Very good. Amen. Amen. It's clear it's a Friday afternoon, although I'm looking outside and it's absolutely tanking down with rain. That was a little wander around the worlds of sustainability. and Interesting trivia. I think you only mentioned the word governance once, which must be a record for our podcast. Usually you're, you're almost in the double figures. So there we are. <laughs> 
<coughs> started coughing as a result of that. Well, I better mention a bit of governance before we go. Good stuff. We will reconvene shortly. I'll probably head to the bar now, I, I guess. And um, I think I'm going to go for a a small a small sherry in a schooner. I think that's what I'm 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 ready for now. A dry, chilled sherry, and um, take the weekend on from there. Okay, we'll see you again next time. Um, thank you, Ian, and um, I'm sure we'll have another guest on next week. But uh, see you next time on the Enterprise Digital Podcast. See you then.